Welcome to AMDA in the States, your glimpse into post-acute and long-term care policy, advocacy, and practice at the state level. AMDA in the States is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. And now, here's our host of the podcast, Dr. Christian Bergman. Welcome to another series in the AMDA in the States podcast. I'm your host, Christian Bergman, coming from live from Richmond, Virginia. AMDA in the States is proud to be part of the AMDA on the Go podcast series. As chair of the newly formed AMDA State-Based Policy and Advocacy Subcommittee of our Public Policy Steering Committee, I'm excited to share examples of what various states and regional AMDA affiliates and members are doing to help shape policy and advocate on behalf of PLTC residents and staff. As always, resources relevant to this topic and discussion will be posted and available online or on our society main website. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Michael Wasserman from Los Angeles, California. Dr. Wasserman is a geriatrician who has devoted his career to serving the needs of older adults. He has been a tireless advocate for vulnerable older adults throughout this COVID-19 pandemic with multiple peer-reviewed publications and television appearances. He served as a member of the National Academy of Sciences, a framework for equitable allocation of the vaccine for the novel coronavirus committee and was a member of the California's Community Vaccine Advisory Committee. He's editor-in-chief of Springer's upcoming textbook, Geriatric Medicine, a person-centered evidence-based approach. His past experiences are broad, including as CEO of a large nursing home chain, executive director for the California QIO HSAG, and as co-founder of a large geriatric primary care practice. He has served AMDA and its California affiliate, CalPCM, in many key roles over the years and continues to assist AMDA in key initiatives and is very active in advocacy and public policy at the local, state, and national level. Today, we'll be hearing more about the story behind AB 749 that the California Assembly Bill signed into law on October 6, 2021, addressing medical director certification. Dr. Wasserman, welcome to our podcast. Thank you for having me, Christian. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Let's jump right into our conversation here. Um, Tell me about AB 749. Uh, What is it? What are we trying to accomplish? So AB 749 is basically a requirement that medical directors in California have to be certified, period, plain and simple. Certified? What do you mean by certified? So great, great question, and I teed that up for you. Um, So we went into this with the idea of requiring a CMD from the ABPLM. Um, Clearly, states and in the federal government don't like to um, specify a single entity or a single organization uh, for, for such. 
But the reality is at the present time, the, the only way to be a certified medical director is through the ABPLM. So the way the bill ultimately got written, it, it literally used uh, the CMD through ABPLM as, as sort of the um, gold standard and, and did say, or any other um, certification that met the same level of criteria. So I think that's a win for all of us that even if someone else comes up with a certification, their certification has to uh, be similar uh, in terms of the, what it achieves in terms of uh, the CMD. Obviously, a lot of details, you know, in there and nuances, but it's a really uh, interesting idea and one that's been floated a while now. Um, if you think back to how this got started, you know, what do you think was the, um, you know, who was the proponent or how did the idea first come up? Um, yeah, it, so it's funny. Um, I'm going to give credit to Dr. Dan Osterweil, um, you know, Dr. Dr. Osterweil and, and Dr. Auslander are two of the, the giants in, in, in long-term care medicine going back decades. Uh, Dr. Osterweil is one of my mentors. And for a number of years, he had uh, encouraged me to try to develop some sort of medical director utility in, in the state of California. And when COVID hit and we were trying to uh, come up with some ideas for how to improve care in California, I thought back to uh, Dr. Osterweil's idea. And, and honestly, that was the germination of, of the idea of requiring uh, medical, uh, a sort of certification for medical directors. The, the other is the fact that Maryland 20 years ago put in a regulatory requirement. Uh, but in doing our homework, it became clear that a regulatory requirement that no one really pays attention to anymore is not as good as getting a law passed that required the certification. So that's what we decided to go for. Do you think that obviously you mentioned some mentors and previous legislative efforts in Maryland through regulation that um, may have paved the way for this? Um, do you think that uh, this could have been done prior to COVID or do you think that really the COVID and the culmination um, helped generate the idea initially? So, and I don't want to be controversial, but I, I, I have my cynicism regarding whether uh, the nursing home industry as a whole really wants to see strong, engaged, certified, competent medical directors. There's a whole other, a lot of issues around that. And I do believe that without COVID as a counterbalance, I, I don't think this, this bill would have passed. I, I think that uh, COVID provided the, uh, the impetus to, for, for even the industry to recognize the value of medical director certification, and have that override some of, say, more the some of the more control-related concerns, and I think COVID really helped us. I think it put us in the right place at the right time. 
And just to tie up the, you know, the idea behind this and background, uh, do you know of any previous attempt in the last 10, 20 years in California to uh, pass this medical director certification? No, I, I'm unaware of anyone ever trying to uh, pass a law requiring a CMD. And, and I'll jump to a, another question you had posed in advance, and that is, when I first um, floated this, there was even some pushback from, from AMDA and the ABPLM of not wanting to overreach. And, and look, those who know me know that I, I love to overreach. So, so we jumped in and just said, to heck with it, we're gonna, we're gonna try to make this happen. The, the other thing I will say, uh, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little, but we developed some relationship with legislative staff in California. And when we floated this idea to them, they loved it. They thought it was a very simple bill that could get passed. And we can talk more about, you know, sort of how that, the politics of that works. So I will give credit to the, the, the legislative staff person who really helped us make this happen. So let, let's talk about that now. I think there are two things as it comes to actually getting this going. Um, obviously, you had a lot of momentum, energy behind this and somewhat spearheaded it. And you got your colleagues with on CalTCM, you know, uh, engaged as well. If we could just spend a, a few minutes first, you know, if somebody is in your shoes and really engaged and passionate about a subject and they're looking for really peer support you know, among a professional association, be it an AMDA affiliate or a, a medical direct, uh, a medical society um, or internal medicine. What do you think was the selling point initially with your peers before you got onto the legislative staff and other connections? Honestly, I think frustration. I, I think many of our peers have been frustrated that um, their role isn't appreciated or a number of our colleagues have been let go from their positions, you know, replaced by hospitalists who don't know anything about nursing homes. So I, I think I think there's a level of frustration that really helped folks sort of jump on board with the idea of requiring this competency that those of us who belong to AMDA have. Do you think in those early conversations, you know, be, uh, beyond, you know, logistics, money, resources, time, um, were there any major hurdles that you had to convince your peers that this was an important thing to do? Yeah, no, I, I look, if I have a, if I, I like to put out a challenge for our, all of our colleagues and AMDA members, um, I think sometimes we worry too much about what other people are going to think and do. And I, I think there was some concern that we might you know, we, we might upset the industry or, or someone else and, or, you know, and, and there'd be some, you know, we shouldn't push too hard. And, and honestly, I think that is an ongoing challenge, which to some degree, I'm going to call out all of, all of my colleagues who have an idea like this and encourage them not to get too slowed down by that type of concern. Um, we're, we're, in, we're covering new ground, Christian, when we're getting involved in legislation and, 
and government affairs. And, and I think we're all learning as we go. And so I, I think the fastest way, from my opinion, for us to achieve more successes like this are for folks who are passionate about an idea to push forward with it. And, and granted, bring along as many colleagues as you can, but while you're doing that, develop your supporters and allies who are actually gonna help make it happen. And in this, and in, in that, that helps tremendously and our, our colleagues will come along because I, I, I firmly believe that all of our, all of us really want the same thing and share the same values. Yeah, let's, let's talk about that, you know, building your supporters and allies, you know, obviously you had a goal in mind, you started to build peer connection and support. Um, next came, you know, building legislative, a champion and identifying your stakeholders. Uh, going back to your comment before about, you know, the legislative staff, you know, they really saw this as an opportunity and they loved the idea. How did you identify which legislative staff to reach out to? That is a, a really good question. Um, so in California, the California State Assembly has a committee on long-term, on aging and long-term care. And early in the pandemic, I learned about that committee. And I, it turned out um, one of my, one of my geriatrician friends and colleagues uh, from around the country, uh, his mom used to work in the California legislature and he put me in touch with her and she put me in touch with the chief consultant of this committee. And in discussions with that person, we came up with this idea and she pitched it to her boss, uh, Assemblyman Nazarian, who loved it. And so, Again, some of this is luck. Some of it is you make your own luck. And I, 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 this is why I continue to encourage folks to get to know their state assembly people, um, to make those connections and, and, and to find out it. you may know someone who knows someone as well. So that's kind of how it evolved and happened. But even if I did not have those connections, you know, uh, like you said, you can still reach out as a constituent to your local representative, you know, pitch the idea. Once you get somebody on board, they may be able to direct you internally to the right committee or another uh, ally. Isn't that right? A absolutely. And in fact, in April of 2020, I reached out to my congresswoman. Um, I'm a constituent. And... And you know, I, I, I gotta tell you when, you, when you call and you speak to someone and you say, look, I'm a geriatrician, nursing homes are getting hammered by COVID, I'm in the middle of all this, can I get a meeting with the Congresswoman? You'll be surprised to say, okay, let me put you in touch with the scheduler. And I had, a, I had a, a call with my Congresswoman and she actually, she doesn't serve on any committees that are directly related to long-term care so she put me in touch with another congresswoman whose staff I have worked with ever since. So I, I think to your point, the best place for most people to start is with your congressperson, your state assembly person, your state senator, all of those folks are absolutely the place to start. And I, I had interactions with my state uh, folks as well. 
So take us back to the moment that, you know, you made the breakthrough with the legislative staff and you all met as CalTCM and you decided to move forward with that. Um, there must have been uh, potentially some anxiety about what did we just get ourselves into, you know, <laughs> the time and resources um, and additional staff may be necessary, you know, for this effort to be successful. Um, what do you do once you get that legislative champion? Do you hand it over to them and let them go and find stakeholders, allies? Do you take it on your own? Can you walk yeah. us through what happened after that? Yeah, and you, you know me, I tell it like it is. Um, we were in a unique situation. I got lucky and made some contacts. And I have to tell you, the CalTCM board thought, hey, Mike, you've figured all this out. You can do all this. <laughs> so, so honestly, a lot of the angst was mine. Like, you know, I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. And so I actually, uh, actually, I wasn't, I didn't even reach out. A, a person in California who does sort of lobbying and 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 consulting for policy saw me on TV and reached out to me, and he he'd actually been mentoring me for free on how to interact, and and he had actually helped me get to a certain point. And when we reached the point where it was clear we were about to put a bill through, um, I went to our board and said, guys we need to hire some, some, someone with expertise. And, and actually the truth was I got a fair amount of pushback at first. And I think one of the reasons was it was gonna cost us some money. Uh, number two, I think I honestly had kind of spoiled people that I was getting all this done. They thought I could just keep doing it. Um, but we did end up engaging this person for several months. Um, I think, what I've learned in retrospect, uh, you really need to assess what you know, what you don't know, what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And we were, I think we had two major support structures. One, one was having an outside consultant, but honestly, in our case, um, the chief consultant for the, the, the assembly committee was incredibly helpful to us in terms of re, you know, interacting with other potential allies, with what to do with the bill language, all that stuff. We, in, in that regard, we were, we were kind of lucky we got that, that support for free. Um, and again, in fairness, not everyone's gonna have that. So I, I really think you need to assess what your weaknesses are, what your blind spots are, and, and have that support to help you uh, get a bill through. I mean, it's honestly, Christian, it's almost unheard of to conceptualize a bill and have it passed and signed 11 months later, especially for an organization that's never done it before. Yeah, I, uh, you know, those of us who have followed this work now are very impressed that it's been done. It's been attempted in many other states. Um, but if we just go back to the timeline for a second and the personnel, you know, involved, um, you know, I, I guess it would be fair to say that, you know, CalTCM with the legislative staff, um, you know, you all 
uh, with the legislative staff connection at the assembly, you decided to kind of go it alone. Um, it would be fair to say that if in a different issue, an issue that might align with a larger association, uh, building the coalition and, and using shared resources might be another strategy if the uh, key objectives align for the two associations. Would, would that be a fair statement? Absolutely. And, and I will say very early on, we found allies in our state chapter of AARP and our state chapter of the SEIU, which is the service union that represents a, a lot of frontline staff. And, and both of them were very well connected politically and have, have a really strong presence in, in California. So the million dollar question we have to ask, and you don't have to give a dollar amount, but how much time do you think that this cost yourself and the organization over these 11 months, you know, um, are we talking about 20, 30 hours a week, um, 10 hours? What do you think? You know, I think when you put it all together and you recognize that there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things going on, I think, I think a 10 to 20 hour a week uh, number is, is not unreasonable for someone spearheading such an effort and and ultimately i would say that that's probably what between me our our consultant that we hired um i'd probably say that's probably a reasonable uh estimation of the time commitment but we must also recognize that this is really the um the top of legislative, you know, advocacy. You pitched an idea and you wrote a bill and you got it through in essentially less than 12 months. Uh, like you said, almost never heard of. So this was a tremendous amount of effort that ultimately paid off, but it would not be expected that the same outcome would always happen every time you uh, have an issue that comes up. Do you think that's fair to say? Well, it's a tough question to ask me because I don't believe there's anything you can't do. I, that's what I tell my kids. That's what I tell my grandson. Um, I, and, and by the way, what we haven't talked about, and it's for maybe another day, is we actually had a second bill that we conceptualized. And then once it basically got on the road, we handed it over to literally to AARP to, to run with. And that was our transparency bill. So we conceptualized two bills that did pass uh, within a year. Yeah, really phenomenal work. I want to turn to the questioning a little bit to, um, you know, what uh, what's next? You know, now we have this legislative bill. And again, I encourage everybody to look it up. It's California AB 749. I have a legislative bill. Uh, could you talk about specifically what is the bill called for and what do you imagine next, you know, over the next two to three years? Yeah, no, basically the bill requires, and, and, and it's actually in, it's active, actually active now in California. Uh, every nursing home has to have their medical director fill out a form that says, you know, what their qualifications are, whether they're signed up for their CMD. It doesn't require them to have the CMD immediately. Uh, they actually have the same amount of time that they would have if they went to the ABPLM site 
and signed up for the CMD program, they, they actually have five years to get the CMD. Um, but what we're learning is the state has sort of chosen to sort of focus on, are they signed up in the CMD program? So that's what's actually happening. Um, I think what we've, I wanna say learned, uh, Albert Lamb, our, our present president uh, anticipated this, you know, this bill's just the beginning, you know, requiring the CMD for medical directors in California now ups the ante for, for AMDA and CalTCM to demonstrate the value of being a CMD. And so it's not just taking the course, which I'm on the faculty of, and, and finding the value in what you learn from the course, but we think it's really important for the state chapter to have ongoing education, ongoing coaching, um, and show the added value of, of both AMDA and the state chapter in congruence with the CMD itself. Um, and we, we think that is gonna be critical uh, over the long run to, to, to build on what we've started. Yeah, no, it's a phenomenal road work ahead. And I think uh, lots of exciting things. Um, if, you, uh, if you think back to the beginning of the, the lessons you learned, if, if there was one or two things you could advise somebody, um, you've given a lot of advice throughout this interview already, but if you could wrap it up in one or two things that for somebody new that's coming in and is really passionate about an idea, what advice would you give them? Probably the number one piece of advice, if and when you find a state legislator and their staff, unless they tell you something that is opposite of what you're trying to do, lean into whatever they recommend. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, this is their area of expertise. We know nursing homes, they know how to get legislation passed. Um, number two, it's just practical the more roadblocks and challenges you put up in front of them, the less likely they're going to be pushing for your bill. So what I learned very quickly, and it's hard for someone like me who is, you know, who, who's very forceful in my beliefs, as you know, um, when, when our legislative staff said we should do X, I learned very quickly to say, okay, let's just do it. Not to even push back unless unless I felt that it was not consistent with our goals. And, and I think that's a hard thing for all of us uh, to, to, to learn to do. Uh, but I think that is the single most important uh, thing that I've learned. And, and then number two, if you're the leader doing this, you have to realize that there's a, there's a commitment and you just got to make it and and you know don't don't accept no anywhere along the way don't accept pushback uh but listen hear what people say i mean just like we do with teaching people to get vaccinated hear out their concerns um and that's the the final thing is try to avoid fights you know uh, they don't get you anywhere you know you, you get further with honey than with vinegar and uh I think those are some really key points to uh, remember. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Dr. Michael Wasserman from Los Angeles, California. And th 
thanks to our listeners for listening to another series of the AMDA In the States podcast. As always, uh, resources relevant to this topic and discussion will be posted and available online on the Society main website at pltc.org. Dr. Wasserman, any last minute comments, thoughts? No, I just, I wanna thank you for what you're doing with this podcast. I, I really think it is essential for AMDA members to hear stories like this and recognize that they can do this too. And the more of our members who jump in and go for it, uh, I think the further along we're gonna get and the more we're going to accomplish together. Thank you so much for being a special guest. We appreciate your kind words. Um, thank you all for listening to AMDA in the States. Take care. If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our learning management system at apex.paltc.org. That's A-P-E-X dot P-A-L-T-C dot org. Click on the podcast and follow the link to this episode. This podcast episode is sponsored by Avenir Pharmaceuticals. The content in this episode was not developed or endorsed by Avenir Pharmaceuticals.